0: I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. This series of podcasts is aimed at financial planning professionals and also those who are looking to enter the financial planning profession. We will be talking join the podcast about all things certified financial planner certification related, talking to other CFPs around the world. And also, we will be dropping in on some new entrants who've just entered the financial planning profession, and we'll be checking up along the way on a regular basis with them to see how they're getting on. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. And today we are talking about a very serious subject and something that is very important for all financial advisors, para planners, admin staff, and financial planners to understand and know about. And to jo- who's, the person who's joined me in this very interesting conversation that we're about to have is Michelle Hoskin from Standards International. Welcome, Michelle.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. My pleasure. Now, we have a very, normally you're a very bubbly person, I know, um, and we've had lots of fun together in the past, but today is a very serious conversation because we are talking all things about financial abuse, how to spot it. Um, what to do about it, you know, what the stats are um, and trying to give us many uh, helpful pointers um, for our not only paraplanners, but actually admin staff or anybody who works in the financial services world, you know, is going to be coming into contact with clients. So we're just going to run through lots of different questions and I'm going to play devil's advocate and throw lots of questions at you today. Perfect. Love it. <laughs> So let's start at the very beginning. Now, everybody knows you, Michelle, but tell us about how you became interested in this specific area of raising awareness of financial abuse and how you came to develop the training for it to enable advisors to spot
1: it. Absolutely. So um so yes, yeah, so obviously I've been, gosh, it seems like a lifetime, but I've I've been kicking around financial services now for nearly 25 years. I mean, I came in when I was only 20. Um, and I suppose my I suppose my view has always been that financial advisors, planners, and kind of any 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 person within a financial services business is has such potential, not only for themselves, but when things are done well and things are done right they just seem to be able to unlock so much more value in their client relationships. And for a sector that's, you know, told, you know, clients are king, clients are the most important people, clients put out at the center of the universe and all our regulations really um, along that line. um, I just kind of felt like, you know, there was so much more that Organisations, firms, practices can do to really um, not only be amazing to their clients and continue to be so, but actually be amazing for their team and themselves ultimately. So that's always been my my mantra, I suppose. And and you know, over that time, you know, financial services, and I, you know, I put on my posts regularly, you know, like hashtag It's Personal, because this is not what i do this is who i am like this this is this is who i am um and that's why you know i know lots of people and lots of people know me because I'm, I'm i keep popping up all over the place because this is who i who i am and when um i first found out about financial abuse um it was almost by accident as all these things are and I threw it through um, MDRT, Million Dollar Roundtable. I met and um, I've become very good friends with a lady called Amanda Kassar. And she asked me, I've not only known her for very long, and she was an financial planner on the Gold Coast in Australia. And she'd asked me, um, would I be happy to be interviewed for her book? And I said, absolutely. You know, I said, yes. And then I was like, what book? Like, that was always me. Yes, first. And then ask questions later. And she said, I'm writing a book about financial secrets in terms of, you know, what's your relationship with money and you know, a business and blah, blah, blah. And I said, absolutely, of course I will. So she interviewed me and that was absolutely fine. And then when she sent me through a copy of the book to sort of check that I was happy with it and I got a chance to read everybody else's story. And in the story, there was a, a lady uh, called Tanya Target. And when I read this book at the time, she was writing about her eight-year-old daughter. And at the time, my little Ruby was eight years old. And this woman's journey, and I am clearly paraphrasing in what I'm telling you, but, you know, she'd gone from being this international jet-setting businesswoman, super successful in her own field, super wealthy, you know, own home, money in the bank, blah, 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 to literally getting to the point that due to uh, an economic and financially abusive relationship with a narcissist, as it turned out, She ended up being in a position where she was basically siphoning off shopping money of her own money, interestingly, to buy food cards that she was hiding at her friend's home so that when she did decide to pluck up the courage to leave her husband, she could feed herself and her daughter. And I remember reading this story thinking, good heavens, like what on earth is that? But that wasn't the only story that was in this book like this. And I said to Amanda, I found her up and I was like, I've just read Tanya's story. Is this real? And she's like, is what real? I said, this whole abuse around money. She's like, yeah, it's common. It's commonplace in Australia. It's it's a pandemic in Australia, New Zealand. I was like, well, I've never heard any financial advisors talk about it. I don't even know if they would know if if it was literally sitting in front of them in their meeting room. I don't think they've got any idea. And I did a little straw poll on Twitter and social media, as you do. And it was basically unanimous. I have no idea what you're talking about, Michelle. Me and me, you know, little firecracker, you know, crack on, running, running a standards business, an international standards body. I was just like, well... That, that that's all I need I didn't know business I didn't need a business case or a feasibility study to crack on I just cracked on and we pulled the team together and Amanda and I with input from other inter, interested and international parties created a training program for financial planners advisors power planners administrators and other professionals I should say lawyers accountants in the area of financial abuse and as a result of that training, when um, individuals then go through that process and they demonstrate because it's all evidence based demonstration that they have the knowledge and they know what to do with it, then we award them with the financial abuse certificate, which is renewed year one, the year after, and then every two years thereafter. And we've just we've just been amazed by the the, the response both from individuals, from organisations, from firms, um, because. You know, one of the things that um, I come across, Jackie, which is sort of it's it's kind of coming full circle as you go down these journeys and you you uncover and you learn as you go, two things. When you know better, you clearly do better. And the second point is, and I've and i it's about to go out on a social media post actually in the next few days, and it's and it's even though you know you a financial planner might be listening to this or a financial advisor who's a divorce coach and can do this and be able to spot it. It's irrelevant because it's not about whether that necessarily, whether that planner or that advisor could spot it or that they they know they have the skills. It's about the victims knowing that you've got the skills so that they come to you. And that's really what the mark is, the certification mark. It's just a beacon to say, I'm going to seek out somebody in this area that can help me. And this is the mark I'm looking for. It's like chartered status or I'm looking for a CFP who can do financial planning. It's no different. Yeah. But, yes. but we needed a mark because otherwise, yes. what on earth were people looking for? How would they find anybody? And as a result, we're building a directory and we're talking to charities and, and all sorts. So it's become a bit, of a, a bit of a passion project, if I'm honest. Um, mm. It's not about the money. Like, we've got all the business services. It's just because, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a strong alpha female, and we'll talk about stats in a minute. But, you know, women, sadly, are the greatest victims of this. Yeah. And I'm just not having it. I mean, no. it, I've got the power to do something about it. And I and I am. Yes. And, that, and that's where it starts and ends, really. Absolutely.
0: And so let's talk about the stats then, because I know you mentioned there that it, it does seem to be predominantly women but not exclusively women um who have who are suffering financial abuse and have suffered you know for for many decades tell us, give us some of the, some of the stats out there about you know what's the level of of suffering that's going on with with the population
1: My pleasure and i'm going to talk around it a little bit to sort of give some context to some of this stuff because i think it's important so just for clarity um, there's two main definitions. There's economic abuse and harm. So you can interchange abuse and harm, depending on how you feel it resonates with you. Some people feel uncomfortable saying abuse, so they'll say harm. So economic harm, financial harm. Okay, so either way, either one is perfectly fine. Um, so economic harm. So you take me and you, uh, or or you take you know Robert, you take Stuart, you take anybody, and you know, in order for us to thrive as humans. We need a certain, um, certain economic resources money, security, um, a home, a shelter, shelter, food, access to technology, access to our friends, our family, our mobile phones, a job These are all things that, from an economic perspective, make us well. They add to our personal economic well-being. And economic abuse is when one party either restricts, sabotages, or ex- exploits another person's economic resources. So I've got a house, I pay all the bills, and a boyfriend moves in and I can't get him out. And he ponces off me and he doesn't pay any bills and I'm paying everything. And so that's a combination of exploiting and effectively, you know, both my economic resources, my home. And find my financial resources in my money. So there's economic harm and abuse. Financially, financial harm and abuse is when it's specifically related to money. It's like the equivalent of you know the bandwagon of financial well-being. It's like well-being and financial well-being. The well-being of me is lots of things. But my financial well-being is one of my things. Right. So it's, it's that in, in comparison, in, in, as a as a comparison. So they the stats are basically that. Um, I mean, this is from research from 2001 and there's research being pumped out all the time. But these are some of my favorite figures because I know through other research that these figures are going up. Okay, so um, they they estimate that it's about one in four women and one in seven men that in their lifetime will experience some form of economic abuse. And what's even more scary about that is in that 95 percent of cases of economic abuse There is other forms of domestic abuse in play, whether it be sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse in 95% of cases. So one of my biggest drivers was, because I I hate the thought of any form of abuse, because I'm a strong female, right? And that, that it just makes me feel ill. So when I when I knew that the figures were so high, I thought, gosh, if all these financial planners spotted financial abuse in these families, they're also probably going to uncover domestic abuse as well tick double tick for me right because they wouldn't necessarily as a natural start having conversations about you know are you in a domestic abusive relationship but it's quite common for somebody in financial services to have a conversation with somebody about money right that's what we do every day that's what you guys do every day right so it wasn't it's not out of place so they can get away with it without it causing any kind of um concern by the other party So, you know, one in four women, one in seven men, 95% also experience other forms of abuse. But there's also some figures that also shock me is um, in a survey that was done with about two and a half thousand people in it, um, all of victims of economic or financial abuse, 32% of the women said that they would leave or they're planning on leaving. And only 16% of the men said they would. So what that tells us is that men don't leave. Men stay. So women will, will, are more likely to remove themselves from an abusive relationship. Men are not. So I don't believe it's one in seven, not, not any day of the week. I think it's more men are a victim of these forms of abuse than they yes. would ever, ever, ever let on that they
0: are. Okay. Because they're just, being silent and putting up with it
1: it's ego it's embarrassment it's pride it's well I'm the main provider how can I leave the children are there you know she can't do anything without me whatever whatever the reasons right and then another figure that really shocked me and I actually I actually found this stat out before I delivered a webinar to the Association of Professional Compliance Consultants, most of which were men on this webinar, and I could see all their faces, right? And I, I brought up this particular slide and I said, um, in one of the f- main forms of abuse or economic abuse when men are the victims is a restriction of food. So a female, mainly a female abuser will limit the amount of food that a male victim can have in order to coercively control them, right? And then there's there's forms of, um, you know, a sleep allowance. You're only allowed to sleep for six hours a night. Um, uh, There was a story that I was chatting to a lady whose mum had died and her um, abusive partner, not physically abusive, he was coercively controlling her he gave her one month to grieve over the loss of her mom. That's all she had. His control. Okay. So this is this is we need to grieve. It's our economic, our economic to be economically well ourselves. So it's it, these. Some of these figures are horrific. Um, interestingly, though, um, those who are currently um, experiencing economic abuse, one in three, so thirty-five percent, said that it started during COVID. It wasn't there before, it came about because of COVID, whether that be because of loss of jobs, homeschooling the children, you know, whatever, you know, general panic, general apprehension, but it's got out of hand. And 35% say it started during COVID. And there was an amazing campaign that was ran, um, early doors in lockdown, and it's a massive billboards all over, I saw them all over the place, and it said, abusers always work from home, right? And really, nobody ever thought about that. Like nobody ever thought, well, all these potential people who are vulnerable are going to be shipped home, you know. And then then the country goes in lockdown again, and and, and off they go again. Um, and you know. Um, yeah, you've got, you know, things like, um, you know, 10% of those who have experienced abuse, nearly a million people say that the, the abuse is ongoing. And and you speak to people and, you know, they've had the car keys confiscated because they've not obeyed their husband. Um, you know, the food, the food example and um, debts run up in their name, um, you know, just just and, and you know, it's it's. Um, you know, there's you know, there's there's there's, there's tons of stats, right? And twenty six percent of respondents say that it's negatively impacted their credit rating, and uh, it, it's just it's just it's just continual, and it's getting getting worse. And um, one bigger stat is sixteen percent of UK adults, which is eight point seven million people, say so they've ex- they have experienced economic abuse. Now that is, that is vast, absolutely vast. So. It's only getting big, big, bigger and busier. And if you may have seen more recently, um, HSBC have run these huge campaigns. Yeah. Um, you've seen them, right? Yeah, on the telly, um, and, yeah. and, and great, for, great for them. I mean, you know, it was on BBC um, TV this morning. I'm going on GB News on the 1st of July to talk about it. You know, it, it's on the increase and in financial planners and advisors cannot just like, just turn the head and just go, this is this is not our job. Yeah. It, 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 it's everybody's job. It, it's mine Absolutely. as my friend's friend, yours as a family member to people. And if those that's the right, I've got more than four friends. So I can tell you that, you know, one of my four friends is currently, you know, likely, based on the stats, suffering at the hands of some sort of economic abuse. Yeah. Heartbreaking. So let's talk about, you know, you mentioned there, that, you know,
0: advisors and planners, paraplanners, anybody who basically is involved in you know contact with clients and potential clients um you know what what can they do how what what are the warning signs that if you could just say just listen to this and if you hear these kinds of things coming out or you see this sort of situation yeah. You know, what first of all what are those things that we should be looking out for before we move on to the what I can do about it what are those warning signs that we need to look out for
1: so I think I think one of the one of the triggers there's so think about life life events so we'll talk generically for a moment so you know if you've got a young couple that are getting married having a baby um, moving in together um, one's inherited money um, one's got a higher paid job than the other One's been made redundant. Um, Anything where there's a life change, there is vulnerability in one party or another, okay? Um, So I think that's almost a a trigger of 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 a moment. Okay, um, where you know an elderly parent's gone into care, there's been um, powers of attorney put in place. There's more than one sibling. Um, there's a disagreement about how what's going to happen to mum. Anything where there's a there's some sort of disruption or change, I think, is is a key point. I think then you go down a little bit deeper and then look at things like behaviours. Now you know narcissism. Uh, we, we could do a whole podcast on narcissism. Right. But but narcissists are, are like sheeps are like sheeps in wolves clothing. So but one thing that I know financial planners and advisors are very good at when they actually are paying attention on our listening is they're a very good judge of character. They're very intuitive and they love people, which is why they do this job in the first place and they want to help. Now, this is going to sound awful because I think, you know, and I, and I hope it's listened and heard in the right way. When we get out of our own way and make it less about how smart we are and what we know and all about us in a meeting and actually observed a bit more, we will notice more. So I think physical behavior, um, you know, um, dropped head, withdrawn. Um, i think um where you've got someone overpowering another person um belittling um you know almost dismissing their their input and um, that they don't know what they're talking about um um coercion like you no know, don't don't we sam don't we think that you know or um husbands not bringing wives wives not bringing husbands to the meeting um you know children always being around you know we had a I was with a. I'll tell this story very quickly because I, it just it just shows the extent, right? So I was um, I was actually at the office of a of a client, financial planner, um, about four months ago, and I was listening. I actually overheard a conversation he was having with his team member. Obviously, I'm under NDA and it's all okay to do so. And they were talking about a case of where they believe that the parent, that the, the mother, was being um, financially or potentially financially abused by her children, three three children. And I was listening in a little bit and I kept quiet. And obviously, you know, these guys are going through our training. So they're first of all, they'd spotted it, that it could even be a thing. I would probably like to guess that before the training, they wouldn't have even picked up on it, right? And I, I was listening in and I said, "Can I, can I just ask a few questions? I said, just explain to me what's going on. And basically, the son had put pressure on the advisor and the mom because he wanted more money. And I said to the advisor, is it just the son that's wanting more money? And he's like, no, no, it's actually the two other sisters. They also are asking for money out of mom's investments. And, um, and I said, tell me about the relationship between the brother and the two sisters. The two sisters are pretty wealthy. The son isn't, straight away trigger for me, right? And I said, so he's effectively, and this is obviously in hindsight I can now report in, he was coercively controlling his sisters so that collaboratively they were all going for mum's money so that he didn't stand out. But what I spotted, and through only through choice of words, and I was very observant because I know what I'm looking for, it was his wife that was coercively controlling him, him to control his sisters to financially exploit their mum. Now I can tell you that I bet that's common because I spotted it within about 20 minutes of the conversation and the advisor's like, no, surely not. I said, I will bet Ruby's life that that's what's happening. So they called a family meeting. They um, they, they used the words vulnerability, economic harm in the email. And it was basically they chaired a family meeting and he literally got to the bottom of it. And the son, the the, the brother, basically contacted him after total breakdown because he'd been busted. I busted him and I had busted him from afar. So if with the skills and the knowledge, you can spot this stuff because you're just on high alert. And yeah. why would we not be on high alert for financial abuse in financial services? It's got to be like our, it's got to be our top one, like, you know, we're talking about consumer duty and all the rest of it you've got to be looking at both financial well-being and financial harm Yes, it's, it's basics but and we're just not there yet which is why we did the training and why we do the certification and I think what's really
0: interesting about that story is it's not just about sitting in front of the client and you know kind of looking for the visual clues it's not just about that it, this can be a, a significantly sized web of people involved in you know, in, in, the, in the financial and economic abuse. And, it you know, it can be parties. And I think that's one of the interesting things. So a lot of financial planners now talk to their clients about a family tree of people that are important to them and things like that. And things like that can actually help bring out those individuals to, you know, to highlight them to you, particularly if they're not
1: directly related
0: to the clients that you might have in front of you.
1: Well, you know, uh, one of the practice managers in my firm, obviously she, she got wind of what we were doing. And she she said, she messaged me one day and she said, can I, can I have a private word? And I, I actually thought she was going to tell me she was resigning and that she wanted me to find her another job was my initial thought. And she told me about her neighbour, who she believed was being economically abused, financially abused by another neighbour. Young woman, um, got children, single parent. She was doing the ladies' shopping. And the older lady had confided in this practice manager and said, you know, I I don't I don't remember drawing out 500 pound, but it's on my statement. Right. Well, shackles are up straight away. We're like, hang on a minute. Let's figure out what's going on here. And we, we, we uncovered that it was a form of it was a case of financial abuse. And that's in a neighbor to a neighbor. And the only reason that. You know, because what, what what, this practice manager would have probably have done is, oh, you know, he needs to get in things and, you know. But because she knows that this is a thing, she asked me about it. So I told her what to do and I gave, I gave her some guidance on what to do and what to say and how to approach it and all the rest of it. But this is not, I mean, she's a practice manager talking about her neighbor who's 86 years old. We're not even talking about I'm an advisor in front of a client. Like you say, it's, it's common. And we, we haven't even touched on elder abuse. And granny pin and stuff like that. I mean, that's a whole other thing, but it's all a form of economic and financial abuse. Well, and I think that, you know, talking of the, the
0: you know, get the older population, then I think, you know, as that older population is growing, isn't it? And, you know, becoming more vulnerable. Um, I mean, I know certainly from my parents' p- perspective, they're both 80 now um, and they still would like to be, you know, are in charge of their own finances, but, you know, would like to be in charge of their own finances for many years to come. But, well, you know, with and also, all... also,
1: Jackie, well, and also, it's, I had a chat with a lady yesterday in Australia who's... Uh, running a lot of um initiatives and well-being and and mental health over in australia and she said the thing is the parents are 90 and their kids are 70 Mm. and their children aren't getting the money they thought they were going to get in inheritance yeah so they banked on it thinking mom and dad are never going to live till they're 90 and mom and dad are still kicking around at 90 (laughs) yes still spending it
0: you're spending
1: yep. <laughs> it. So almost like that generation that's now 70, 60, 70, it's not quite gone to plan for them. Because mm. yeah. their, their, you know, their grand, their parents' parents never lasted till 90, not in a, no. in a second. So it's it's interesting. It, it's all changing. The world has changed and you know, vulnerability. You know, I and mean, I've been asked to comment on you know the consumer duty, and you know it was oh, all about service and fees. I'm like, it's got nothing. God, that's one tiny element of clients vulnerability. Am I charging yeah. them the right thing? I'm like, really?
0: Do me a favor. Come on. Yeah. Like, um, else. Um, What's probably going to be interesting is that that money. If you've got you know clients, you know, in their 90s with children in their 60s and 70s, then that it's going to skip a generation that money. So when that the dollop of, of money skips that generation down to those in their 30s and 40s, then that opens the gate for many younger people to be financially and, and economically abused.
1: Absolutely. And, and you know it's it's basically um the the, the, the the term we the term we say a lot is they as in the perpetrator, they want what you have. It's very simple. And I think, you know, this is I don't I don't often talk about this bit that I'm about to say, but I think, you know, um, you know, domestic abuse has become so mainstream, it's it's, you know, there's now campaigns with, you know, about you know, young lads, you know not you know speaking out or not speaking out when a girl's being harassed in the street. So we we now know mainstream, you know, you talk to Ruby and even, you know, my generation, you know, my parents' generation, we know that domestic abuse is bad. Okay. So it's now unacceptable for a perpetrator to to physically abuse somebody. You're a baddie if you do that. And with the gender roles becoming so blurred, with women um, earning lots more than they did 20, 30 years ago, and holding down the family and running businesses. It, it's sadly, I think, um, it's actually thrown open and put into question the the, the 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 dominant male role in the in the household. So what's happening is. Often they are the, they're not earning as much as the woman in, you know, not often, but, you know, in some households. And I think they're becoming dominant in the finances because it's the only thing that they've got and they'll take control of the finances because she's busy or whatever. Um, and, and literally in the last, in the last two weeks, I've spoken to three financial planners, all of whom have been financially abused. One's a fellow, one's a char- one's chartered and one's diploma qualified. All a yeah. victim of financial abuse and they've come forward and spoke to me.
0: Wow. And that's very brave of them to be able to do that, you know, to be able to approach you and, and actually say it, isn't it?
1: It is. And, and actually it's part of their healing. It's part of their, I need to tell somebody my story. Yeah. You know, one of them, the, the lady who's a fellow, she was saying to me that she's currently going through a divorce and divorcing her husband. And the judge has basically said to her, you should, you should know better. And then she's on the phone to me going, yes, I should. But I fell for it. I had a business. You know, they're like, how can you be financially abused? You had a business, you know, you had property. Yeah, none of it was in my name. He was taking all the rent from it. The business, I had to put all, my, all the money into a joint bank account, which he had full control over, really. So on the face of it, she was a successful financial planner, but a victim of financial abuse. So, you know, and she's never spoken out. So she's not one of the one in four.
0: no. No. That's amazing, isn't
1: no, it? It is. And, you know, it's happening in our client banks, but also, Jackie, it's happening within our teams. And there's a whole other list of triggers and signs that you've got team members being economically or financially abused in your workforce. Yes. And we've got, we've got to look out for them. And when we're just, the sector's just not, because it's so fixed on the client. Yeah. It's missing the people inside their families.
0: Yeah. I can remember working with a member of staff many, many years ago now and her phone was always warbling and it was her boyfriend, have you arrived at work? Are you at your desk? Have you had your break? Have you had what did you have for? You know, did you have a coffee at break time? Did you what? are you, Where are you going at lunchtime? Should I meet you? You know, what are you back at work after lunch? And you know, are you at the bus stop going home? All of those sorts of things, and it's it's it starts to build up. And I think if if it builds up slowly, I guess if you're, bus- you're busy, you don't really notice, and you think, oh, it's because they care, isn't it? And then actually, it turns
1: into something more. This is this is where love bombing comes in. So love bombing is I love you. I just care about you. I want to protect you. I want to wrap you up in a book. And, and women love nothing more than a bit of love bombing, right? Let's be mm. honest. Yeah. You know we are suckers for it. We are. And the problem is a lot of narcissists use love bombing as a form of initial control. And and just very so clear as well the difference between um, sort of abuse and harm versus care is the purpose behind it so if someone's using any form of um, abuse or control to control you then that's bad if it's for care then it's a different conversation so if the if the if the reason behind it if the intention is of care that might just be it's got out of hand a little bit they're just a bit over caring right you know so even even i'm flying to boston and Stuart's like well who are you flying with you know what airline are you flying with how are you get to the airport well, he's not controlling me it's because i haven't left the country on my own since beginning of covid when i wasn't with him anyway so it's all new to him me traveling alone with my suitcase to me it's not right but to him it is so but if it got recurring and it was and it was escalating then we know there's a problem so it's the escalation of it which makes it coercively controlling as opposed to Coercively caring, you know, it's just it, it, it's um, it's just a different play on it, really, um, and yeah. you've got to spot it. Yeah, and
0: so let's assume that you know we know some financial planners who have some clients and they have spotted that something doesn't look right you know maybe you've got one client who's controlling the whole conversation who's chiving the other person along and that other person is looking at the floor um and saying yes or remaining silent 90 percent of the time so you know some things up what can practically because i think this remember when george kinder first came to the uk i had this conversation with him the other day actually on one of our other episodes and we talked about well This is all well and good for him saying, well, you must do this or you must ask all these extra questions and, you know, all the rest of it. But then it's what do you do with the information once you've picked it up? How? Because we are not counsellors. We we are not professionals to be able to deal with this. So, you know, there there are probably a number of listeners out there who are thinking, yikes. Well, you know, a bit like repeating that conversation with George. Uh, that's all and good, picking it up and great that we can pick it up. But actually, it's only useful as, if we do something with it. So, what can we do
1: with that information? So, let's assume then. a great question. So, let's assume that we've, we, you know, let's say you're my client, and let's imagine that I'm with you and Robert, and you know, you're you're. Let's say you're overtaking the conversation, and you're the one that's dominating. You're overpowering. You're belittling him. It doesn't matter which other way around it is right. I'm perfectly placed to say, well, part of my process, obviously, as a duty of care is to is to spend some time with you both to understand where you're both at individually and together. So part of this process is for me to have a conversation with you both you know, separately. And as one party kicks up, the advisor needs to push back and say, I'm sorry, but this is part of our process. Right. This is our duty of care. Duty of care is, is a great little sentence. Right. Duty of care. Um, and you have a separate conversation with both parties. And, you know, what you, what you would say is, um, Robert, you know, when Jackie, um, like, dismisses your input in a meeting, it makes me feel really uncomfortable with that. Um, does that happen often? So what I've just said to him is, when I see this, it makes me feel this question. I've not accused you of anything. Not really. I've only said what I've seen. I've shared how I feel and nobody can argue with how I feel because they're my feelings. And it's a question, unthreatening. Now, clearly my manner has to be not, well, she's out of order. You know, what what does she think she's doing? I have to be um, toned down. I have to be very calm. My voice has to be very mono. It has to be very sympathetic sounding. Um, and then let's imagine I've created a calm environment to have to say those very few words. Before we come on to Robert's response, um, what if we then? What if that person said, um, "No, no, no, you've got, you've got that wrong. You know that's not no, no." Then then I would say, "Okay, that's that's okay. I'm just sharing with you. You know, and again, hand on chest." you know, to my heart, I'm only saying what I see and I just, it just made me feel a bit uncomfortable. So almost reaffirm again um, if they've given a, a defensive response. And then if you say, well, are you sure, you know, does that, does that, you know, ask another question? or well, questions are amazing in financial services. We know this, right? You know, less, let's talk more, less answers, more questions, I think would solve a lot of problems in our sector generally. Ask the questions um, okay, well, look, if you ever do want to talk, I'm always here to listen without any judgment. And that's all you can do, all you can do. But what you would say is, and if you ever wanted to talk, I'm always here to listen with that judgment and you can you can contact me anytime and everything will remain confidential between you and I. And that's all you can do. And you've just got to hope that it plant it's planted a seed. Now, if, if Robert had said, actually she actually has been getting a little bit like neurotic recently or you know she's really controlling at the moment like I'm not really sure what's going on I'm thinking it's the menopause you know whatever whatever you ask more questions where where else does she demonstrate that behavior you know is it in all areas of your life is it just when it comes to the money question 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 because you're building a picture and financial planners have a habit of diving in with a solution right mm, yeah there's no solution to be given at this very moment because what you're then going to do once you've once you've explored and spotted that the, there is a situation or there's a situation that's now or that there's a situation that's bubbling you say well let's just keep an eye on that let, let's just uh, let, let let's talk again maybe get them you know i'd say to robert you know Keep a little log up when she does that. Like just maybe make a note in your phone or, you know, when something is said and you think it's a bit off, just make a note of it so that, you know, we're not trying to catch her out. You know, again, we're trying to sort of throw it out there. We're not trying to you know get her into any trouble, but let's just build a bit of a, a library up. Of, of just so we can have a chat about it. Because you might forget when she says things in passing. So you're starting to build a bit of a library. And then you just monitor it. Um, I had a, I had a, um, on one of the Facebook groups, the female Facebook groups, financial services ones, there was, um, a lady had posted, um, and this is what, this is what not to do. Just, I'm giving you that. So it helps. Um, and I was on this, um, I was on this group and it was like, speak to Michelle, speak to Michelle, speak to Michelle, Michelle Hoskin. You know, it was, it was a, basically a, a, you know, a client has just come to me, female client has just come to me, um, to tell me that she's being financially abused. And this woman had said, you know, what to do. And they're like, Michelle, 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 speak to Michelle. So she phoned me up and we missed each other a few times. I was in the car and one thing and another bad signal. And um, when when I got to speak to her, I said, so what have you done so far? And she basically, she'd not done bad. She'd done okay. But she said, I went to my compliance guy and she said, he told me to phone the police. I went, please tell me you didn't phone the police. She said, I didn't. I went, thank goodness. She said, I said, because if you'd have phoned the police based on the story you've just told me, that woman would likely be dead now, right? Not because she was in any immediate danger, because what it would have triggered in his anger would have put her in immediate danger, right? At that, after the event. She wasn't in immediate danger now, but it would have put her in immediate danger. And I said, I said, and this is why I get out of bed every morning. I said, because that's not what you're going to do. I said, what you're going to do is you're going to call her. You're going to say, I'm here to listen without judgment. Can we get together somewhere safe? And um, She ended up actually helping her purchase. Because again, think about it like this. So, um, and it was all sort of done because you care about your clients, right? But this advisor ended up buying this lady a pay-as-you-go mobile phone. She paid for it, the, the advisor. Um, so, because if she'd have bought it, he'd have known she'd have bought it. right? And actually, I think to myself, it's worth thirty five quid a month. I might be saving someone's life. who's bothered, right? And advisors have got a few quid They can afford to do this really, right? Little things like this, um meetings, there was sort of um a new email was set up, um things like that. so there was a, there was support. She then also the advisor ended up helping this lady and got her in touch with some of the charities. Uh, there had been debt wrapped up in her name that the advisor didn't know about. And the story just unfolded. But effectively, through support and a guiding hand and a supportive partner in the process of getting in contact with a number of organizations, she was able to remove herself safely and economically stably, stable from that relationship. Yeah. Because yeah. she had a support. Now, this guy had isolated her from all of her friends, and all of her family. Hmm. And it was only because she was his financial advisor that she just happened. And, you know, if I hadn't been bouncing around talking about financial abuse, who knows what that advisor would have done? Who yes. knows, Becky? Probably phoned the police. police Yeah. She may have the police. Um, yeah. I mean, one one very quick story, because I think it, it just really hits on what we're talking about. Um um, I, I was um, I was speaking to a lady at a, cha- a, a woman's charity and she said to me she said you know she was in an abusive relationship and she said I never knew what financial advisors were she said now I'm a divorce coach she said I had no idea at the time that advisors even existed right she said I thought they just lived in banks you know banks and building societies and she said that she told me a story about this lady who had gone in to see her um, through one of the coaching sessions counselling sessions and she'd got boys in private school she, her husband was super wealthy, multiple businesses, huge property, posh cars, jewellery, the, the works, right? She didn't work, but she was a victim of economic harm. She had no access to any, not even a penny, not one penny did she have access to. Everything had to go through him. He would buy expensive items and she would be basically told what to buy, what to wear. Horrific, horrific relationship, right? She went to see a lawyer and the lawyer basically advised her and said, we can't do anything until he sells some of his businesses. Because there's, you know, there's no legal case for this. There's no legal support I can give you. I'm not sure what you're bring in to me, right? He missed all the signs. It, she didn't go to the lawyer with, I'm being economically abused. She went to the lawyer with, you know, I want what's my, what's my legal situation? Like, what's my position? But then she went to a financial planner. And she said to that financial planner, she explained about, um, you know, access to money and, you know, not really laying it on abuse because she probably didn't think she was being abused per se, financially. It was weird because this is how it happens. The planner, like many would and many do, said, um, and and I'll say these words and you'll know exactly what I mean on what he meant. He said, we can help you when the time is right. Mm. Meaning we can help you when you've got some money. Yes. Okay, we know that that's what you meant, right? Not, yeah. We're not stupid. And um, she said, the lady at the charity said, the sad thing, the sad thing was um, three weeks after she went to see that financial planner, she took her own life. She left two boys without a mom. Now, how different that would have been if that guy would have picked up something in a Facebook group or listened to this webinar or anything, anything anything at all even seeing the HSBC billboards in the streets imagine that this is why it's got to become more mainstream and that's why advisors have got a duty of care to not only know about this but also be a beacon for people to come to them do something absolutely yeah and you mentioned
0: some charities there what if you wanted to help and put you know these individuals in touch with some charities and you know be that guiding hand there are some great charities out there can you just name a couple that
1: there are that- the best one in this area is a charity called surviving economic abuse and uh, um dr nicola sharp jeffs she's actually just written a book on economic abuse and if anyone's interested they can they can join in our facebook groups or um our linkedin groups um, which is against financial abuse confidence to cure and I've, i'll post Bits and pieces in there daily, and she's just written a book about it. But surviving economic abuse are they were instrumental in having um in lobbying the government and parliament, um, to have the domestic abuse act changed so that it included economic abuse, is now a criminal offense. So, if any advisors have got any clients that are divorcing and economic abuse and financial harm or abuse is at play, it's now a criminal offense, and advisors need to know that too. And that we could do a whole podcast on that, right? Um and so that's obviously something they need to be aware of um and um, surviving economic use are the best one because they focus specifically on economic harm and economic abuse the other charities like refuge women a- women's age there's a men's charity that's called Man- mankind um these are all charities that are more domestic abuse focused yes to help so they get do- you out of the situation yes, yes. yes. Um, which is which is equally valuable, of course. Um, but surviving economic abuse, you know, we're soon to be partnering up with, with them as an, as an organization um, um, because we're actually, um, there's actually a new, obviously I'm, my business standards international is a standards body. And there's a, an ISO standard now, um, which is ISO 22458, which is a standard in consumer vulnerability. It's a global standard and it's absolutely amazing. So if anyone's interested on how they meet the consumer duty, just go for the standard and it will just gobble that up for breakfast and more. So Surviving Economic Abuse and, and Standards International are exploring partnership opportunities to work together. So Survive Economic Abuse is, is by far the best one in this area specifically. Um, and their work is in incredible,
0: incredible. Hmm. Michelle, we have sadly run out of time for today, but it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for sharing all of those stories and your journey. I think it's an amazing thing you're doing. Um, definitely keep it up. And I'm sure that after this podcast, you'll probably have lots of financial planners in touch with you. Um looking to be uh you know getting booked on to your training courses and support and learning more about this vital area so thank you so much for joining me today thank you
1: for having me jackie
0: i hope you enjoyed today's podcast it's really interesting isn't it to listen to other people's points of view about different things all relating to our wonderful financial planning profession If you know anyone who might be interested in listening to any of these podcasts, please pass on our details to them. So that's it for me. Join me again next time when we'll be talking all things certified financial planner related and also dropping in on our new entrance to the financial planning profession. Bye for now.